This is the Small Business Big Marketing Show with Tim Reid and Luke Moulton. This show is lovingly put together for small business owners by small business owners to get practical ideas about attracting more customers more often. So, if you're serious about building your business, strap in for the ride. Now, here's your hosts, Tim and Luke. Lukey, Lukey, Lukey. How are you, Timbo? Welcome. Oh, I'm very well. Welcome back. Welcome to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. The place where we make marketing very, very simple for the small business owner and for the large business owner. I've spoken <laughs> to a few lately. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, they're loving it. They are loving it. Uh, any any names you want to draw? Uh-uh, no names. No <laughs> so, names. Not, sound like you. I, I know nothing. And don't give me that Mick yeah, Jagger joke. Yeah. Hey, um, <laughs> welcome back listeners to Small Business Big Marketing and um, brought to you in conjunction with our friends at flyingsolo.com.au. Go and check that site out. That's the second best site on the internet, Luke. Apart from smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Correct. Yeah, yeah um, great place for to go and share uh, small business war stories in their oh, forum yeah. um, oh, and yeah. certainly read plenty of articles around uh, small business. Hey, uh, Lukey, we have got a ripper guest today. Yeah. A ripper guest from a very well-known uh, food, I was going to say fast food. Yeah, I'll, I'll, go there, I'll go there. Fast food brand. Yeah. In Australia. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be talking with Dave, Dave Milne, very shortly. Um, but before we do that, what is on your mind? Tim, I, uh, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, I think this was actually on my mind in the last episode, yeah. but um, Facebook has been very much front of mind for me. I, uh, I probably ignored Facebook for, for a little bit longer than I should have. Can I just say to all those listeners that are about to turn off because they think Facebook is not for their business, just hang on. Yeah, bear, bear with me. Yeah, bear with Luke. Because... Um, so recently, Facebook's been making some changes that, that that are making them even bigger and even more powerful. I, I think they've certainly got Google in their sites. Um, they're doing more paid views than, yeah, well, than, than what Google does. I think Google's got Facebook in their sites. Um, and some quick stats, they've got around 600 million users worldwide. And in Australia, mm. they have uh, around 9 million users, which wow. is, uh, what, about a third of the population. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, ignore Facebook at your own peril. Recently, there's there's been some interesting stuff that I've certainly just been. Before, ta- before you share that interesting stuff, so what, why would a why would a small business who's skeptical about oh Facebook, I'm not gonna I don't need to be on Facebook. Why why would they consider it? It's going to be different for each business. I know that each industry, but yeah. Well, look, funnily enough, funny you should ask that Tim, because yes. I have actually put together a quick five minute video. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I, I thought I, you were going to just do the big sell on me then. No, a video. No, I'll you put together a, a, a video that I'll um, put up on smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash FB. You are clever. Facebook. Um, five minutes, it'll show you how... Am, to... I, am I in this video? No, you're not. No, and that's well, why I don't remember so it. good. Um, <laughs> it, it'll, actually, it'll actually show you how to discover if your audience is using Facebook. Get out of here. No. So basically, uh, I, and not to give the game away, but um, it basically uses... Facebook's um, advertising engine. You don't don't worry. You don't have to spend a penny. Um, but it, it lets you do some demographic research on Facebook to see if your audience are using Facebook. Now, Timbo, you and I are always about you know putting uh, putting your time and efforts in the right place. So I'm certainly not saying you know you need to be on Facebook yeah. as a small business because yeah. um, that's that would be a uh, blanket statement that's not true necessarily yeah. for all. Um, but certainly go and check out the video and. and um, it, it, look, it, it'll take you all of five minutes if you've already got a Facebook um, mm-hmm. profile account, um, and, and you can find out if your audience is there. But what if you haven't? 
Oh, look, it, it'll take you probably another five minutes to set right. up your profile account. You are very clever to do that. Thanks, Timbo. Um, so that's going to be up at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash FB. Um, some, um, one of our listeners actually brought to my attention a, a Google, uh, sorry, a Google, a Facebook app. Uh, Facebook apps, are, you know, like most apps, they plug into existing functionality. Uh, and so they make your Facebook better. Yeah, and there's, there's one that's um, out that's called B Taylor. Uh, it allows you to basically sell on Facebook, sell product on Facebook. So thank you, Paul, for bringing that to my what, attention. What does B Taylor mean? So B Taylor is, is a Facebook app that plugs yeah. into Facebook. Um, that um, look, I, t- to be honest, Tim, I haven't I haven't used it as yet, but I will be looking further into it. Yeah. Um, I gather it allows you to you set just up. Promoted something we don't we haven't tried. Yeah. No. But it, look, it's worth going and checking out. B Taylor. Okay. All right. We'll um, put that in the, the links to in our show notes. In the show notes. Uh, while you're looking at uh, the small business big marketing show notes, what we mm. have actually done with our um, mm. with our blog, or and also on each one of the the podcast pages that we have. We've actually integrated Facebook comments, um, which is pretty cool because basically you can go there and you can you can post a comment. If you're already logged into Facebook, you can post a comment on the bottom of um, of each or any of the any of the podcast episodes that we do, and leave a comment. Um, powerful thing, powerful thing about that is it actually gets shared with the listeners, yeah, um, friends as well. So that uh, is it's, it's it's social proof. Yeah, I think one thing that Facebook you know, you can think about Facebook as. The actual, like having your own Facebook fan page, but also having links to Facebook off your blog, for example, whether it be a like button or whether it be the ability for people to leave comments about your blog that go immediately to their Facebook. Yeah. The social proof and the viral nature of it, because as you say, it goes immediately out to their friends. So that's pretty cool stuff. And um, yeah, it's probably at the point now where, <clears throat> as a small business owner, uh, get, get really your head around why, why, or if you should have Facebook, and if you should, then do it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, and yeah, by the by, I have done a, a quick guide for people if they do want to go and set up a um, a page for their business. Uh, you just go. Mate, go they've to... been selling like hotcakes. <laughs> they have. Hey, that's good. Thank you to all the listeners who have bought them. Yeah. Because that does help us fund what we do, um, and our intention going forward, what it always has been, is to create products, whether it be the intensive, a two day workshop, or whether it be your Facebook guide. Or whatever it is, um, we aim to create products and information sources that are going to help their business prosper yep. from a marketing point of view. And in buying it, let's not beat around the bush, Lukey. It helps us actually fund our little podcast. Yes. Our humble podcast. Our humble podcast that's been going for about two years. Oh, God, really? <laughs> up that long? Up to episode 46. What about Gary Vaynerchuk recently? Now, if you don't know Gary Vaynerchuk, king of personal branding, yep. if you haven't read his book, Crush It, then you better get it. Um, but he has done Wine Library TV for a number of years now, yeah. and he finished on episode 1000 last week. It's a long way to go for that us. That is a long way to go, Lukey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it'll laugh or cry, yeah. but Gary's, um, Gary's an extraordinary individual, and uh, he was very tearful on his last show. Um, and listeners, if you haven't seen, if you, if you are interested in personal branding, I think we've touched on this before, but... He's the guy who kind of gave birth to the concept or, or certainly brought it to the fore yeah. and used social media as the way of becoming an expert. Um, it was actually interesting. I spoke um, last week, speaking of personal branding, Yep. I spoke uh, last week at the Australian Virtual Assistance Conference. Um, and I was just saying to them, I sort of thought, t- touched me as I was talking to the guys at this conference that, you know, 
right now, I'm not sure there's, this is just a good example of like personal branding in business is that I'm not sure there's a virtual assistant within Australia, for example, who's actually put their hand up and said, you know, when you think virtual assistant, think me, you know, and put their hand up above all the others because it's a pretty crowded marketplace and yeah. they are competing on a global stage. They sure are. Yeah, they really are. Whether they like it or not. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, but the point being, it's a really interesting exercise if you wanted to, to say, you know what? I want to be known as the expert in this field. So for you and I, we've kind of, we're at the moment, we've achieved and are now working hard to maintain being known as the small business marketing people, yeah? Yep. And if you're keen to Google small business marketing, we come up front and centre, right? And I think, have a think about in your own category, listeners, as to how you could do that. If In fact, do you want to do that? And I can't say why you wouldn't, because mm. <laughs> it's going to get your business. Yeah. Um, and how do you become known as the go-to person in your category? And it was just a thought that came to me within the virtual assistance category where, look, I, I don't know that category intimately, and there may well be someone who's head and shoulders above the rest as being the expert in their field there. But it's interesting, because every category's got to have one. Mm. Gary Vaynerchuk did it in wine. I mean, that's a long story in itself. And you go to his website and check out what we mean by that. But every industry's got to have the expert. Why not it be you? Yep, absolutely. Yep. Jimbo, what's on your mind? You. Thank you. And also, and also, uh, went to a really interesting seminar on uh, Sunday with a couple of previous guests, Pete Williams and Big Dave Jennings. Um, And it was the seminar hosted by a guy called Roger Hamilton. Now, Roger Hamilton uh, is the guy who came up with this... um, personality profiling technique called wealth dynamics yeah and at the premise the premise of wealth dynamics it's one of those things where you like fill out the 20 minute questionnaire and then it tells you your exact personality type a bit like myers-briggs you might have done a myers-briggs yeah i have yes you have and i have um and it basically you read these things back and your head's nodding you're going my god that is me you know like (laughs) how do they do that they don't know me i've only answered 20 minutes of questions but you kind of go, yeah, that is me. And when you know who you are, you kind of should anyway because you're you, but you kind of go, okay, so that's my personality type. So therefore, this is how I should go. And in this case, it's about how I should go about creating wealth, right? Yep. So wealth dynamics, they talk about it as being, you know, discover your talents that you're born with and then capitalize on them. Mm-hmm. That's that's the whole premise of completing a wealth dynamic. Anyway, so Roger Hamilton, he's the guy who founded Wealth Dynamics. He spoke in Melbourne on Sunday. Now it was a two, it was a full day workshop. It wasn't a workshop; it was a seminar, and it was really interesting. We all got to complete our profile, right? And just author's note: you're the opposite of me, <laughs> which is which is good. Yeah, yeah. But it is; it's really good. Yeah. Because um, if you were the same as me, it'd be a disaster. Yes. Because we'd both be headbutting. We headbutt anyway, but the fact is, you're really good at certain things, and I'm really good at certain things, yep. and never the two shall cross, you know? It's like, so in in, um, in wealth dynamics parlance, um, I'm, I'm in the creative area, and you're in the mechanics area. Mm-hmm. Now, you do touch on creative, I never touch on mechanics, yep. but you know, like, you're the get things done guy, and this is the type of stuff you find out, and once you know who you are, then the wealth dynamics profiling tells you tells me how to work with someone like you and you how to work with me and how to get the best out of each other in order to create wealth. So that was pretty cool, right? The second cool part of it was that Roger is also very much a futurist yep. and he shared with us 10 trends that we can expect to see in the next 40 years. 
all of which are currently in place now in the world, <laughs> but are going to take hold in the coming 40 years, and they are mind-blowing. Yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned a few of them to me, Timbo, and they are pretty amazing. Yeah, they are. Now, what's the really, really good news for our listeners? I'm going to share a couple with you that are irrelevant to your business, but just mind-blowing. <laughs> then, Lukey, yeah. Roger has agreed to come on the show. Oh, awesome. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Sit down. He's agreed to come on the show. Fantastic. And, yeah, and he's going to share with us um, some more, get, get, dig deeper on this whole notion of profiling yourself in order to build your wealth, your business, and yep. as a result, your wealth. He's also going to share with us some future trends mm. that are relevant to business, like absolutely relevant to business. So I'll keep the powder dry for those. Suffice to say... Here's a couple of trends that are happening now. 3D printing, right? Tell us about 3D printing, Timo. Well, I know you know a little bit about 3D printing, Loki, but here's the thing. You can now print a kidney. <laughs> it's amazing. There it is. <laughs> it is amazing. It How is, is that? Yeah, um, unbelievable. Yeah. So, like, basically, there's a concept called 3D printing that basically you can use a flatbed printer to print three-dimensional objects from bricks to kidneys to tractor parts, to whatever. Mind-blowing. If you don't believe me, listeners, go to TED and there's a video on it. They print a kidney on stage. We'll, uh, we'll drop a link in the show notes. We will. Now, second, a second one, is, which I loved, is the space elevator, which <laughs> yeah. was based on this concept of uh, limited resources on planet Earth. So, but there's all the resources we need, like ore, iron ore, out in space. So they've come up with this concept of building the space elevator, which is anchored to the seabed and goes 22,000 miles up in the air. Wow. And you can go up and down in this lift and bring back all the, all the primary resources you need. Um, Do you reckon Richard Branson's worried about his galaxy project? Why? <laughs> Why? So he, he so Richard's building a, um, a spaceport yeah. to take oh, travellers right. up. Just so a lift. Just... I, I just catch the lift and save myself 200,000... Anyway. Yeah, possibly. Well, yeah, but you know what? I'd I'd go with Branson because you know what? You know when you hop in a lift and you get stuck with someone who you don't want to talk to, <laughs> or there's really bad music playing. It's a long way to come down, isn't it? <laughs> it's a long way, and you don't want that baby breaking down. Oh no! And if someone breaks wind, Luke, that would be a long. I mean, it's just a long ride. It, incredibly long. All ride. right, all right. So look, that's exciting stuff, and there is a hell of a lot of trends that Roger will share in an upcoming show. Um, that will blow your mind, and, and if you if you embrace them and understand them as a small business owner, man, our listeners are just going to be so far ahead of the game, Lukey. Yeah. You know, the, for example, in Singapore, in two years' time, no money. It will be a cashless economy. Yeah, yeah, all electronic transfer through phones. Total. So that's and that's happened. Singapore is ready to go now. Okay. It's just the government are going through the you know the checks and balances, making sure it's all in place. All the businesses are set up for taking no cash. Wow! So that's not it's around it's gonna it's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. And it's how we set up our businesses to make sure that we're at the leading edge of that and gonna benefit from it. So some exciting stuff coming up in small business, big marketing. And I, I look at our list of guests who we do have um, on our radar, yes. not booked, so we won't say. <laughs> no, but we are. We're pretty intent on bringing our listeners some bloody exciting stuff in the coming months absolutely and just to prove we're serious Lugie, mm-hmm. let's get stuck into our guest for today's show who we got we got david from noodlebox david milne co-founder of noodlebox yeah. which is um a 
national uh, chain of noodle outlets, uh, and he's also overseas. And right now, I think he does mention what countries, I think they're in Canada, but they're a global concern and they're getting bigger and bigger. Mm. And Dave starts off by sharing the story and then tells us how he goes about our marketing. So here's Dave. Here's Dave. Dave Mill, welcome to Small Business Big Marketing. Welcome, Thank you Dave. very much. Thank you very much, guys. Tell us a little a bit about how Noodlebox came to be all those years ago. Um, well, I guess it all started on having an idea while I was traveling overseas in around about 95, 1995. Um, I was working for um, uh, several sort of festival groups and, and, and things like that, uh, traveling with some bands and doing things that uh, odd jobs that I sort of slotted into while I was backpacking and eventually ended up in Copenhagen in Denmark um, and was um, working on a few things there and not getting paid a hell of a lot of money, um, but just having a ball. And we were eating a lot out of the um, American packaging, the, 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 the noodle boxes, so to speak. And um, we were eating all sorts of food from sort of Indian to um, Asian foods to salads to curries to, you know, all sorts of things. All out of the same packaging? All out of the packaging, yeah, that this market stall there was doing. And it's just, um, you know, it brought back all the memories of seeing it on TV and never being able to have it in yeah. Australia and all those sorts of things. So um, after I was there, I, I decided to come back um, home to catch up with my parents and stuff over Christmas. And... Um, uh, so about a month later, I came back home and on my way through, I went through the Singapore markets and I hadn't really thought about the boxes again for a little while. But um, after I saw the um, the open markets there, the hawker markets in Singapore, I was just blown away by the guys on the walks and the atmosphere of the Asian cooking and all sorts of things and always had a bit of an interest in food anyway. Um, and then when I got home... Um, I, uh, you know, started to put a bit of an idea together and decided that I'd stay in Melbourne and try and put together a business plan for that. And funnily enough, um, we're sort of, um, more sort of from the country, our family We've had farms and stuff for years. And funnily enough, our family wasn't, uh, too excited when I told them that I'd come up with a takeaway Asian concept mm. in food. Mm. <laughs> it's, a little, well. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit out of um, the parameters of what uh, I'd had uh, my education spent on, I guess, and uh, and wasn't sort of the direction that I always wanted to take, I guess, but had, had was really passionate about the idea. How'd the conversation and, go? Uh, Mum, I, I want to sell noodles. Oh, well, it was more, I sort of approached Dad first. He's, uh. Uh, he's generally good to have it out with, you know. Yeah. Um, so... But, did, um, did you approach them from a raising capital point of view as well? Raising cattle? Uh, well, not <laughs> yeah, farm, no. but I mean, what's that got to do with noodles? Capital. Oh, capital. capital. Well, initially I probably would have had more chance in raising my own cattle than I would have had a bit of capital. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I needed uh, I needed to work out how I was going to afford to do it as well because I wasn't going to go and spend, you know, three months or so planning this in my head and not going back overseas and continuing on my wild ways over there. Um, unless I knew that there was some realistic ability for me to raise the money, um, to do it. I still had a car that I'd left here and things like that and had some money saved up still from when I was away and things like that. So, um, it was a, it was a combination of trying to get them on board to, to sort of look at maybe some, some, some help and capital there and also making the decision on using my money here to take the risk of not getting back overseas for quite some time on, on, on either being successful. So you had this idea, you were eating out of these boxes in Copenhagen 
all sorts of things. Yeah. So and, and the box is what grabbed your attention. The box, but it was, yeah. But you chose noodles because you came back through Singapore and you saw. Well, the, yeah. I mean, you know, I think everyone in Australia relates these boxes to an to, Asian, yeah. you know, to the Asian yeah. thing, and. Um, you know, so I just enjoyed eating out of them because I'd never been able to eat out of them before. So that that novel thing was there for me when I first saw it, which was really. What was appealing. the big program? The big was it was it Seinfeld that kind of yeah Seinfeld, and you'd always see them in movies like Lost Boys. I think it was the first yeah. time I ever saw them. Yeah. You know, it, it yeah, just just things like that. It's like those red beer cups that Americans have at parties. That you know <laughs> the frat parties. <laughs> the frat parties. Yeah. Yeah. Has anyone brought them out? It's a good no, idea. <laughs> you should do that. <laughs> Bags that I did. No, stop it, listeners. Any listener running to the computer to register anything, stop. That's mine. Um, Kick parties. Yeah. So, okay. No, no so one's going to listen. No, they're, they're, they're running off. Yeah. Might as well um, just talk between ourselves. But I guess, you know, um, for me, I'd always had an interest in, in that sort of Asian food. It was something that I really enjoyed and liked. And I'd seen the Wagamama's thing as well over in London. Um, you know, when I first got to London and that's when it was, you know, they only had one or two. Tell us about London that. Town. Um, well, I went down the, you know, my first experience at Wagamama's was, you know, um, you know, we went down into a basement just near Soho, um, into this new thing called Wagamama's there that had only been open a little while. And, it, you know, it was just jam packed and it was the talk of the, you know, talk of the, the, the city, that sort of underground eating sort of feel. And, um, and you know, so that was, you know, that was probably the first sort of thing in my head to say, mm, I really like this Asian sort of food thing. You know, I like what's going on with it. I like the style of people coming in and out and that quick buzz about it. So, you know, by no means did I go there and go, this is what I want to do. But I think it was a, st- a step of a few things that sort of got me to that point. So um, what, was, what was your first noodle box shop? Well, what happened was um, after um, we, I sort of had the idea and the concept, um, uh, which is a little bit different to how we've got it now. Um, I, I sort of had a business plan there and, and, uh, I met Josh through some mutual friends of ours and our paths were very similar. We both went overseas at around about the same time. We both were interested in marketing at school and did a bit of it at uni. Um, we both, um, we both traveled and, and, and came home. Josh had taken more of a hospitality. Josh sort of is your line. business partner. Josh is my business partner. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so when me and Josh got introduced, I was really open to, to having a partner that was, you know, similar age, um, had heaps of enthusiasm as well for the brand. And we were both, you know, had similar experiences and it just really gelled well. And Josh brought, um, a bit more of a realistic hospitality approach to the business as well. Whereas I was a bit more, you know, concept, you know, concept driven, mm-hmm. um, and, um, so yeah, we spent, um, a couple of months having a look around and, 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 and working it all out. And we finally came across a place in Chapel Street, which was a small sandwich shop at the time. Fashion capital of Melbourne Fashion for capital our of Melbourne. overseas listeners. And, um, and we found this place. We knew that it was the only thing we could really afford to do because it was around about 27 square meters, which is pretty tiny. Yep. It's on a little corner. Um, and so we went in and approached the people at the sandwich shop there and they basically said, no, go away. We don't, not interested in selling. So we left our number with them and we kept looking around everywhere for about another sort of five or six weeks. And then one day we got a phone call from the woman saying that she's pregnant at this business and they really want to sell. So <laughs> we went down there and, and purchased this sandwich store because you couldn't just get a food license on mm-hmm. Chapel Street. It's starting to free up a bit now. Ah, uh, I see. So it was a perfect perfect thing for us. So even though the original concept was going to be a little bit bigger, more seating sort of style inside, this was an opportunity for us to get into 
the main fashion capital street in Melbourne for exposure and also, um, you know, also give us a smaller footprint that was less expensive to set up. So that's, and we were literally the bit. first, the first food takeaway food to be serving in noodle boxes. Yeah, we were the first. In, I mean, we, we, we had to um, track down a supplier who was interested in bringing the boxes in for us. Yep. We ended up finding a guy in Sydney that had actually imported a heap of them, but couldn't sell them to anybody. Oh wow. Um, so, um, we got onto him, um, built up a relationship with them that we had for nearly a couple of years until we started to get a lot more volume, a lot. So I've got a, a problem with the boxes, not yours in particular, yeah. but noodle boxes generally. Yeah. It's that fold that that there has to be, there has to be an open corner. Yes. Yeah. And a noodle or a bean shoot will, in, or, or a bit of carrot <laughs> will invariably get stuck. Yeah. You've got to solve that. <laughs> Actually, I've got another problem with the box. It is only one yeah, piece of one food. Too. Too. It, it is. It is. But but you know, if you're enjoying it, yeah. Well, you go then. The, I'll, the, I'll, the metal I'll, handle. You can't whack them straight in the microwave. Microwave. Yes. Oh, yeah. So we don't Plastic do microwaves. Well, at home. you can, we but it will be it. the last time you use it. Correct. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and sure that's happened. Which we've heard a lot about. Yeah. And if I do, if I do a noodle dish, it's got a bit of sauce left at the bottom. I do like to. To, to drink it, to drink, to it. drink it down. And well, I feel, some people like I to lick their bowls too. You bowls, you I cannot, mean, <laughs> bowls. But, um, you cannot lick it You, know, you box, don't do that in public. But it's also anymore. hard to get that square corner into into the mouth. Yeah. So there's a, there's a yeah. few issues with the box that I'm not quite happy with. Right, okay. And I think that's where your business I'll is bring, headed. I'll take that back to product development, yeah, actually. If you could. Really, if you could. And I just it's getting you. on that crazy noodle thing. I'm sure we'll talk about later. If you solve that, I reckon this noodle box thing's got legs. Okay. With you, Rob. <laughs> Tim's son. <laughs> oh, rookie. <laughs> That's very nice music. It is beautiful. Um, Thank you, Garage Band. We were having, look, whilst we were having a bit of a laugh about some of those issues around the noodle box, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because we often forget to ask as business owners what people, what do people dislike about doing business with us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in knowing the answer to that, we get better. Yes, indeed. Mr. What's the name? What's the karate guy's name? Uh, Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi. Aha. Fucks on, fucks This is getting very yin-yang kind of, um, yeah, yes. it's good. Yeah, so, Timo, can you, have you got anything that you can apply that to? I have. So, my accountant um, identified the fact that people, what, that, what they hated about doing business with him, and in fact, all accountants, is that they just don't get back to you. Yeah. Because they're very busy. Yeah. Right, and I know you've got a chiropractor who has a similar problem. Yeah. It never, never gets back. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my accountant has a banner, actually a banner on the front of his shop that says, you know, the only accountant that returns calls within twenty four hours or something like that, and he does. Very cool. He promises to get back to you uh, with an e- to your email or call with the same within twenty four hours. Yeah. I think I think it's similar for a lot of professional services, and just on on the Cairo thing. Like I go there, been going there regularly recently. I've had a bit of a bad back. Um, and in, anyway, nudge, I'll, nudge, wink, wink. I'll, I'll invariably make an appointment. Um, and given I'm going regularly, you know things change, things come up, um, and I either have to ring them. They're not there all through normal business hours, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Although they do have a receptionist that does take calls. Um, but you know, maybe there's maybe there's a shared calendar solution. They only give they only give the um, the web address out to customers that can actually go and either try and reschedule their yeah, appointment right. um, and notify them about that. Because yeah. you know, I've shot off an email, um, haven't received something back, and you know that was only this morning. But um, you know, same same sort of issue. Yeah, it's great. So the question is, what do, what do people hate about doing business with us? 
and what can you do to fix that and then promote the fact that you fixed it yeah absolutely good one back to dave dave were there any <laughs> health regulations that you had to pass with the boxes um yeah don't use them twice yeah <laughs> <laughs> um look there wasn't uh, the, the the packaging's food grade um material so um basically it was just uh the same as any other packaging you know um, it was a, it was a, a thing that we looked at when we first started, but they were, um, they're actually registered as a food pail. That's the, that's the trademark for them. Um, Folder Pack in America own the base trademark for, for that particular product. Um, and it's trademarked as a, as a food pail. So, which is why we've been able to trademark our name around the world as Noodlebox. So, mm-hmm. um, even though people seem to equate that now, especially in Australia as a Noodlebox, we're still in, in the States and things like that. Um, they still equate it to a pail, a food pail. So, um, what is the what is next for the noodle box? Because I still am on this wagon, Luke. But I've done some work with paint manufacturers where they have they have teams trying to figure out what they can do with the paint tin. Yeah. They always come back to you know what it's just a paint tin. You know yeah. we could roll yeah. it, we could have little places to hold the stick and to stir it in the brush. But yeah. you know what? Yeah. Same with you, sort of. Well, yeah, always back um, to the basic, good yeah, old noodle box. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is basically. Don't um, stuff with the magic timber. Yeah, stuff being it's yeah. not yeah. the right word, but yeah. we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so you go on, Lucky. So uh, back when you first started, so how did you go about branding? Um, did you hire someone? Did you do it yourself? What, well, how did well, that what actually happened was after we, um, after me and Josh got together, and and you know, I had the name for Noodle Box. Um, I'd registered the name for Noodle Box. Did you have the domain uh, name? Oh, not back then. You wouldn't have. When no, did no, we didn't. Did you get? Sorry, stick on your story. But we did. did. You get the domain we did name. We get when the it domain came. name. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, so so we had the name. We went and saw a really good friend of mine, Paul Finlay, who I'd grown up with and moved out with, and all that sort of stuff. Who's a friend of. Um, and Tim's. Yep. Yep. And, um, and, uh, both, uh, myself and Josh and Paul, um, did the logo for Noodlebox with a, uh, takeaway pair of chopsticks and a photocopier in his office at Smart Art at the time, South Melbourne Art. And, um, and yeah, we put the, we put the logo together and, um, and from there that was the, the symbol for, for Noodlebox for, up until about 2004, 2005, when, uh, when the logo changed. Um, and, um, and I guess, you know, from a, from a branding perspective, our, our store was well-branded. Mm. Um, when we first opened the store in Chapel Street, there was a lot of, um, we created a, a fairly big buzz there by, um, we came up with a bit of a crazy idea, crazy noodles, yeah. um, where we um, basically... We, we asked a, a girl to do a naked photo shoot for us. Always creates buzz. Um, it holding, seems to be just a constant marketing trick. of Exactly. In the middle of Chapel Street. So we had two massive big windows, even though the store was really small. So what we did was we got a naked girl holding a noodle box in front of her that was closed. And with we, we actually, we took her head off the, the shot. <laughs> um, and we had across the, across the window with this massive big photograph on both sides saying, um, the noodle box opening soon. Oh, you are <laughs> so wrong. Nice. So what, what that did though for us was that was all we had to do because it created so much controversy down in the community yep. down there that, um, we had people ringing council to complain. We had council coming down to see us. Me and Josh were building the shop ourselves. So, yep. you know, there was often the odd explosion going on in the yep. store. Um, you know, concrete grinders going in too deep, all this sort of stuff, um, cutting holes in the wrong places. Yep. But we built that over six weeks. And during that time, we had so many people 
interested in what this was. It was hardly even a food concept idea. You know, people could see Noodle. They could see this box that everyone wanted to see before. Yeah. And then this big naked girl Brilliant. sitting. She wasn't that big, actually, but the photo was big. Yeah, yeah. she was naked. <laughs> she was naked. <laughs> I like the way you say that. Too. <laughs> yeah, <I'm trying. laughs> and, yeah, so that, that for us was probably our first real marketing strategy that probably worked for a launch as well as any of our other one-off product launches. Did you do any more of that? Is, is it guerrilla marketing, whatever you would call that? Did you do any other stuff like that? Um, yeah, we did. I mean, days? you know, we had, um, we also had a noodle man. So we had a noodle box done up as a suit that you wore tights and these right. big thong slipper things on, which we've still got today. We still use those. <laughs> and with the arms and stuff. And even me and Josh would jump in there and run up and down Chapel Street yeah. and hand out things. What did you wear when you had the suit on? Um, the boxes well, or you, had, you actually go the... Um, I can't remember. Because you'd, you'd Probably, heat up, surely. Yeah, it was. It was pretty hot in there. It was yeah. just, I mean, I think it was, you know, underwear okay. only. Yeah, I didn't, didn't yeah, mean to get you're personal. You're getting a visual. I, <laughs> no, no, it's just always interesting to sort of interrogate that side of the Tim, marketing Tim, world. Tim, your son is Character in the room. And, um, we haven't like, mentioned that. No, we haven't. Hello, Jack. Our boy's in the room. Great to have you on the show. Back to the end. I haven't actually seen him laugh at one of your jokes yet. He has. Know. He laughs inside, Jack. Yeah, that's, that's what you want to believe. Jack, can you just grab that microphone and just give us a little insight into your father's sense of humour? <laughs> It'll be one word, surely. Funny. There it is. <laughs> oh, damn it. There it is. Jack, father's son. Jack, we had a chat earlier and you said you weren't going to say that. That's enough, Jack. Back to those M&Ms, mate. They're good, aren't they? What colour do you like? Uh, red. Yeah, I do like the red ones. Yeah. And so clearly Jack's going to get Maccas in the way home. <laughs> yeah, correct. Because Dad wants it. No, no, we'll get Noodle Box. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. So what? What else? Um, what other crazy stuff did you do? Um, well, you know, we had, um, you know, back in that day, there was, uh, you know, the it started around that Chapel Street precinct where there was lots of little bars opening up and little, you know, little clubs opening up. So we always, you know. Uh, tried to get into that youth market, especially with, you know, having um, staff in Noodlebox t-shirts at different venues and having DJs playing in our stuff. And we even went down the path of having DJs with Noodlebox record covers and all that sort of thing, just to create that youth wow. brand sort of feel at that street level around that area, um, which worked really well for us. Um, and, you know, obviously we concentrated on, you know, having young kids in schools that worked around the area that, you know, because it was a new concept, they get all their friends down there. And, you know, we really created a real hub for it. And so within sort of about eight months, we then opened our second store in St Kilda, which was wow. in Ackland Street, another which again was another, kind you know, of cool sort of precinct. fashion area precinct. Um, and the flow on effect was, was pretty instantaneous there. And, um, and then our third store, we went to Glenferry Road, Hawthorne, which again was full of schools and, and, uh, and young crew. And, um, and we found the younger sort of crew for us, which is still a, tar a heavy target market for us, uh, always brings, you know, the majority of people with them. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, we'd have a lot of parents coming in and, you know, checking it out and really liking it and loving that it was a bit interactive with the, the theater going on with the open you know, kitchen cooking and the fact that Chapel Street was so small, but with lots of people always around it. And, and there was always a bit of a buzz going on. So, and even in Ackland Street, when we opened up, you know, the kitchen was right in the window and when you walked in, it was right there and, you know, the noise and everything was going on. So that was for us, it was about in-store marketing, the in-store feel and trying to get as much, um, runs on the board in a marketing perspective as we could by utilising staff and utilising the local community around us as much as possible and a little bit of shock value with a few things and posters and those sorts of things. So, is, is the, uh, It sounds to me like the, the correct 
positioning of, of your stores is pretty important to your marketing. Definitely. Yeah. So and I think especially when you're first starting out, like, um, you know, you can, you can strategically work if you want to, you know, a geographical spread and you want to have presence in, in, in and around certain, um, cities, I guess. But if you're entering into an area or it's the first time you've opened up, et cetera, you really have to work out who your, your main market is that you're going to and then be strategic about the site you get. I mean, I think it's, I don't think Noodlebox would have done as well if we had have opened up, no. you know, out in the, out in the suburbs where there was only that pure community there that would have seen it. You know, we had, you know, I mean, Chapel Street, even though it's probably not as popular strip as it used to be because of all the big super shopping centers and that that have opened, it still has consistent transient traffic going through it from interstate people to people from all around the outer suburbs. Um, you know, people still go there for their, you know, for their day trip mm. sort of thing and, mm. and to do those sorts of things. And that so, store's still there? Yeah. Growing? Bigger yeah. or the same size? It's, it's not, it's exactly the Great. same size. Um, we actually, unfortunately with the floods, we got flooded out. So that store, even though it's still operating, it's going it's to a full rebrand. Now. Yeah. It's going to a full rebrand, um, over the next, uh, two weeks. So that'll be, that'll be great to bring it up to where most Dave, of the other stores are. We, we, fast forwarding, at what point did the growing pains hit? Um, look, we, How we, many stores in? we had, um, around eight stores, um, when we started to realize that this is a monster to, to manage right. when you've sort of come from not being in food that much myself as well. Josh had always just been, you know, working in and out of restaurants and cafes and things to then having, you know, around about that sort of 60 to 70 staff, um, you're managing 16 chefs, you're doing, you know, you've got leases to deal with, you've got builds to deal with, you know, and then your branding side of things oh, and you're yeah. going to communities that, you know, need marketing and those sorts of, so I think around that sort of eight to 12 mark is when we really found it, found that we were, you know, at a point where, it, where you know, what have we got ourselves So what'd into? you do about that? How many staff you got at that point? <clears throat> what we actually did about it was a, we, we had a different view. Um, we didn't know we were going to get into franchising for starters. So we weren't looking at this as a big national brand. So what we did, we went and opened up a pub. Yeah. What? As you do. Um, so we brought the station hotel in Greville Street yep. and uh, we renovated that up from being someone previously before us, we actually brought it off the banks, but the people in there before us had um, turned it into a, a beautiful old classic Melbourne pub, you know, yeah, NXS played their first gig there, so did wow. Jimmy Barnes, you know, it was like, so basically um, we, we picked up that and turned it back into the old pub that it was, but also gave it a bit of a spin with an Asian restaurant, um, a club. Um, that ran until 3am at night and an original old public bar, restored all the old bars and had a function room out the back for 250 people. Just the conversation of, of we've got eight noodle pubs and uh, noodle noodle boxes yeah. and it's going pretty well. Yeah. Um, and instead of thinking, well, we might take noodle box interstate yeah. or just keep going down that track yeah. or buy a pub. What? Yeah. How did that conversation go? It's got to be every bloke's dream. <laughs> <we? Yeah. laughs> Apart from being 25 and thirsty, um, <laughs> yeah. no, we were, um, hunger we're, covered. Let's yeah. get the thirst under control boys. <laughs> exactly. No, we look, we had an opportunity. First of all, um, we got approached by, um, a guy that we ended up in business with there, um, to, to take on the, the pub with him. Um, and, um, and we also had, we felt that we had a little bit of a run going on with the youth market around the inner city with Noodlebox. We had a bit of a following going. Um, so we thought we would do a, a restaurant version of it with the pub. 
and it worked very well. And it actually, what it did was it gave us, we had a fantastic, um, hotel manager in there, um, who, who managed the pub for us. Um, and you know, from a day to day point of view and the amount of people and staff and crossover that we got out of there, we learned a lot from having that business. And we also, um, had a bigger pool of resources for staffing, et cetera, which stabilized funnily enough, the noodle box set up. Really? Yeah, right. Um, and, um, you know, we had people moving around in different stores and, um, you know, we had people working at the restaurant some nights and then out at the noodle box in Chapel Street great another night or St Kilda. And it was just a really good vibe and we had a great feeling going on. And I think, I don't know if we actually would have probably got through that period as easy as we did before we transitioned into franchising if we hadn't have done that funnily enough. And also we were very lucky because the pub ended up being really successful. It was a um, really busy hotel um, and which was ended up being brought out by Lion Nathan about 18 months later. Hmm. And that then gave us more work and capital to then run Noodlebox mm. and to actually invest in our baby, so to speak, the thing that was really important to us long term. Yeah. So tell us about your foray into franchising. Well, that was, I mean, you know, when the first person that said to me, you should franchise this, I just looked straight through them blankly because yeah. I, I really hadn't yeah. even thought about it. I yeah. thought well, franchising. Well, I like Ronald McDonald, you said? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I just couldn't imagine this business being cookie cut it yeah. out to, to being like that. Um, and also the fact of going into state and all these sorts of things, even though we traveled overseas, I mean, that was a pretty big thing, um, for us. So, um, but yeah, we got, up, I think we got up to about 12 stores and a company called Franchise Developments who are now no longer there, but they've actually broken up and been dissolved into other franchise organizations. But they, um, they approached us and said, you know, we think you've got a, a, sh a strong brand and the operation seems quite simplistic and we were very branded as far as that goes for, for sort of one or two off sort of stores to, to be honest at, mm -hmm. at that level. Um, so, um, that sort of, you know, it was sort of, uh, we weren't pushed into it, but we were certainly sold on, on the idea and encouraged into it. If I hadn't known how much work it was, I think we would have approached it a little bit differently. Uh, would, you, would you, should you have looked when you had store one, not that you probably ever thought about it, but mm. you, you ideally would have looked at that store as going, you know what? we'll build this store as if it was the first store of a franchise. And that yep. way you'd have all the templates in place, all the processes nailed, but clearly yep. that didn't happen until you got to what store 12, well, 15. I think, it, I mean, I equate it, um, to, to, to something really funny in my life, but I remember the first time I ever won a trophy for riding my BMX bike. I can remember sitting there and saying, God, if I could just have three of these, I would just, you know, how cool life if would, I could life win would be three, you know, straight to the pool room when you're a really young kid. Yeah. I was about seven or eight or something. And when we opened up the first noodle box, me and Josh were saying to each other, imagine if we could get two or three of these up and running and we just ran the three of them. I mean, that'd be just great. You know, yeah. that's all we were thinking. How many you got now? Um, 82. How many countries? Uh, well, this is our first, but we've just signed a heads of agreement in another country, which I don't want to say until we actually open. <laughs> okay. <but laughs> okay. So I've wouldn't it be good if we had three, well. but, uh, <laughs> we'll just knock it off her over, just over 80. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. So, and then, you know, getting back to the growth phase, you know, what, you know, selling that pub, we did a restaurant and we had a nightclub as well called Saratoga and the restaurant was called Makoshi, which was. Uh, well, we actually called it crazy Japanese. It was, um, it was, right. you know, everything that Japanese sort of, you know, everyone was going towards this really clean sort of style Jap. We went into yeah. making, um, you know, teriyaki burgers and things with two rice patties wrapped in a lettuce leaf with, you know, a, a meat burger in the middle with teriyaki on it and, 
you know, instead of doing, um, instead of doing California rolls, we cut them down the middle, put them in hot dog wrappers with all Japanese writing right. on them and did Cali dogs, you know, and all this sort of stuff. So, and that went really well for us as well. We were in that for a year and a half again. Um, we had a, a, a partner who used to manage that store. Um, and be more hands-on, and we eventually just interrupt then, the, the, the idea of Kelly dogs and those teriyaki burgers. Yeah. The innovation process in Noodle Box. Do you guys sit down once a month and belt stuff out? Someone mm. come in and say, "Hey, imagine yeah. if we cut a Kelly roll in half and made yeah. it a hot dog." How's it happened? Because I don't think enough businesses do this. Well, I think. Um, well, I think we've also been been in that position too, um, because I guess when you talk about growth growth issues. Um, and I think, you know, we went through this the other day, Tim, when we were in our brand strategy meeting yeah. with you. Um, we, uh, brand strategy, Tim yeah, Reid. Tim Reid, that's <laughs> it. It was good, actually. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, uh, there's been so many growing pains that have taken me and Josh away from why we started this business. And one of the big things that we haven't done enough of, which we have been able to do over the last six to 12 months now that we've got a great team on board and we've been able to invest in people, is go back into these things of developing you know, and improving the brand and improving new things and getting new things going. So, so do you have a process for ideas? Cause obviously you and Josh aren't the only blokes in the business with ideas. Is, no, there, is, sure. there, is there a process well, that a ideas majority of ideas. Yeah. I mean, the majority of ideas come through franchisees as well and people who are actually on the ground working and get customer feedback at a, at a store level. Um, so if those ideas are either reworked or there's variations on them or, um, you know, or it could be a straight idea that, that, that does come from that. Mm -hmm. So, um, but you know, we're also a little bit careful in the fact that, you know, we have a lot of regular customers in our business. And sometimes if you change the plan too much, it, it does rock the boat a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a, there's a bit of a balance and I, I think know, Apple would disagree with you. They probably now they made computers for a long time and then brought out started. I knew you, you were going to bring this brand. Yeah, yeah, that's right. How could I not? <laughs> Love Apple. <laughs> well, you know they did. They made computers. Then all of a sudden they're in the music industry. Yeah, and then the phone industry. <laughs> and the phone, absolutely. Mm, and yeah. I think they're bringing out noodle boxes at some point. <laughs> yeah. Juke boxes. Dave, would would you if you had your time again, would you go down the franchising path? Um, has to say yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I guess he does actually yeah. say yes. <laughs> would, would you have left it a bit longer? I definitely would go down the franchising path because I believe in food. Um, I don't necessarily think it suits every business, but I think in food, it is imperative that you have an owner operator. Um, if they're running maybe, you know, up to three stores themselves, that's okay. But we could not be running a business of 80, 83, you know, plus stores, um, if we were, you know, if it was just me and Josh owning it, it, it would, you just couldn't keep a handle on it. You couldn't get the passion into the business that you need at a ground level. So is that about having someone that cares essentially? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, because you can't be everywhere at once and franchising allows you to be able to do that. Um, and it's about picking the right people too, mm. um, and getting the right mix in and, you know, again, growing pains, you know, there's probably some people now that we've really established, you know, what is a good franchisee and what are good partners and, and us learning about being a franchisor as well. You know, there are, um, there are people that, you know, that we would think may not have fitted the brand originally, um, or, you know, you know, today that we did have in the system a while ago as well. So that's, that's part of our growing pain too. And I think most brands go through that when they're first franchising. I suppose it's someone I can, the only analogy I can draw is it's like employing people into your business. Yeah. Essentially you've got to get the right, uh, the right fit. Exactly. And you know, there all, there's always going to be a little bit of adjustment on that as you're growing. How important is marketing to Noodlebox? Incredibly important. Um, Lifeblood? 
without a doubt. Um, you know, and, and again, growing pains, Tim, you know, we have, you know, probably sacrificed a little bit of that over the last probably, I would say, you know, we had a lot of fun doing our own brand marketing and things like that Mm. because we had a lot of momentum. Um, but I would say between sort of 2002, you know, since we started franchising, we've been more concentrated on growth than the, than the brand. Um, and you know, we made a decision 18 months ago, both Josh and I joint managing, directing the company that we would make a big, heavy focus on getting back to our roots and what we're doing. And, and, and hence the and workshop we did last hence week. Hence the workshop. And also, hence the, hence the marketing team that we've put in place of, you know, four people and um, really investing in some good people in that, in that mm. area to run that. And, well, uh, I was very happy to walk into a noodle box with Jack. When do we go to noodle box, mate? A few, a few nights ago. And um, playing some pretty good music. Talking, you, you, when did it start? 1985. I don't, is that when you started no, the no, box? No, 96. 90, oh, sorry, 96. <laughs> yeah. What, I think 85, we were still at school almost, weren't we? <laughs> but 96, no, we, we had a bit of Tears for Fears, a bit of yeah. Shudo Echo. Nice. And upon walking out, Mondo Rock comes with the boy. Awesome. Was <laughs> Which, this in Mornington? I don't want to say what store. Okay. Yeah, it was Mornington. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, like, because of their taste in music. <laughs> I loved it. I oh, know you would. Yeah, no, did you like a, the rebrand? I did. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty, it was pretty schmicko. I yeah. like the high gloss. On the tables. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Very yeah. nice. And the bloke yeah. well, was... Well, we make all our own furniture now too, ball. so... Do you? Yeah. Whereabouts? Yeah. We make all our own products basically now, except for veg, uh, vegetables and meat, which we buy locally in local communities. Why and, have you chosen to make your own furniture? Uh, well, we've just be... gone through a national rebrand, so the volumes were there for us to produce all our own stuff. And we wanted to come up with something that was custom for us as well. Um, and have our own. So if I go around to your house, am I going to be looking as though singing a noodle box? You will be, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You go around to any of my family's places, you will get that. Love it, Dave. Thanks absolutely (laughs) for for coming in and sharing the noodle box story because it's one that needed to be told. Probably been told many times, but it's great to revisit. And it is, it's, it's a, it's sort of part of certainly Melbourne fabric. Yep. And uh, well done. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how the marketing thing comes up from yeah. the strategy meeting we had too. Yeah, so. absolutely. So we'll keep an eye on it and get you back in a couple of years' time. Fantastic. And lovely music to go out on, Luke. Indeed. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Okay. Cheers. Timbo, some awesome marketing inspiration there from Dave from Noodlebox. Mate, I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm seriously hungry. Okay, you're always hungry. I love noodles. <laughs> yeah. So I so I. love noodles. And, and particularly in the box. In a box, correct. Love so, them in a box. Thank you, Dave, that for sharing a lot of gold. And listeners, I hope you took a lot of notes because there's there's some some gems there. Now, Lukey, a couple of things. One, I just want to send our listeners down an, an inspirational path if they're not already there. Yeah. But I'm surprised at how many people don't know about TED. Yeah, TED videos. TED videos. TED.com, listeners. If you haven't been there, and I'm sure because you're a listener of Small Business Big Marketing... You're probably ahead of the game, and you may well have have you may well have been have been there. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't, TED I think stands for Technology Education and Design, but it's also the name of the guy who came up with the concept. Yep. And it's just a place where you will find 13 to 18 minute videos of talks by very inspirational people on all sorts of subjects. I love listening to the architecture ones. I get a lot of uh, ideas from the architecture videos. Yeah, Not around architecture, just like, <laughs> it just gets you thinking about your video, your, your video, your own business. Yeah, yeah. there is also an iPhone app, I believe as well. Yeah, there is. And yeah, an iPad, so. the iPad app's a ripper, yeah. full screen. Nice. So uh, this just came to mind, Lukey, as you pushed uh, record, but also one thing is we are a show by the people for the people. <laughs> Would that be fair to say? <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, I guess. Well, yeah. Well, what, what are we then if we're not? Buy yeah, Androids yeah, yeah. for Androids. So we're... we're yeah. Go, go so, on. Oh, interesting where you're going yeah, with Okay. This. So I want to hear what listeners have got to say or ask, more to the point. Yep. We want listener questions. Um, we get listener questions by email. We never get time to answer them. We're a bit no. naughty like that. But that said, um, we do have a Facebook page. So you can go to facebook.com forward slash small business big marketing. But you can also record a question and email it to us, guys. So get your iPhone out or, you know, there's every laptop's got a recording device in there. Just send us a little MP3. Um, in fact, there's a great little, um, I think it's iVoice or iTalk on the iPhone, which allows yeah. you to... I'm just grabbing my my, yep. my iPhone now. The, the, the standard voice memo app on the iPhone, you can, yep. you can just record it on that and then email it to questions at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Great. I would love that. It's that easy because we would love to actually hear from the people. Yep. And hey, Lukey, if they were smart, they'd say, you know, it's such and such from such and such. Yes. Dot com they could almost give their business a plug. They could. It could be guerrilla marketing on their behalf, and we wouldn't even know. No. We'd be oblivious <laughs> to the fact that they're using us to promote their business. There you go. But that's a, what we want to do. There's a great incentive to ask us a question. Um, we'll play it on air, and we'll, we'll might, we might even play your plug. We might answer it too, We'll answer it, of course. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Um, that's enough from us. Uh, if reckon. you do want more marketing goodness, uh, yeah. go and check out the Small Business Big Marketing Academy um, where you will learn a lot, lot more than what you have on this show. It's sbbmacademy.com. Or you can go to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com and find it from there. But yep. That's our little way of giving back uh, at a relatively inexpensive way. This is our way of giving back. The Academy is <laughs> a way of um, exchanging money for ideas, but there's a lot of good stuff on and how-tos in there. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, our next guest coming up, another Ripper interview. We won't. We'll keep our powder dry, Lucas. We will. But until then, see you, mate. See you, mate. You've just come that little bit closer to getting your business booming thanks to the Small Business Big Marketing Show with Tim Reed and Luke Moulton. Please keep in mind that the information, opinions and ideas expressed in this show are those of the hosts and interviewees and theirs alone, and they don't necessarily reflect those of their past, current or future employers.